Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. So when I was in the seminary, I grew up at St. Mary in Hudson, and about five or six families from St. Mary in Hudson uh, adopted some children about high school age from an orphanage in Rwanda. And the idea was that they would go through high school and college here in the States, and that would give them a future. Hopefully some of them would go into the medical field and head back to Rwanda, but no pressure. They were able to study and experience life here. Well, I got to know a lot of them really well, and one of them, uh, she's, uh, she, she's going to be getting married, but she's from Rwanda, and her future husband is from Ghana. So we met, and we were, they were talking about all the paperwork that's involved, right, in meeting in the States. They both have jobs, and they want to stay in the States, and then wanting to get married in the States let alone then all the things that to get married in the Catholic Church, right? But the heart of it was they belonged to one place and there was seemingly a lot of steps in order to belong to the United States of America. I say that because that was on my mind when I was thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, because Jesus is very clear. His kingdom does not belong to this world, meaning the way that he wants to create a human family, the origins of his way of relating is not from this world, and its destiny is way beyond this world. And yet what Jesus founded is in the world. In the world, but not of the world. And we don't automatically belong to it. You and I who go to Mass and try ours, we don't automatically belong to the kingdom of God. Father, I was baptized, confirmed, I go to Mass every Sunday. I know, I know. That gives you the door open and you can enter. But it's also true we can leave the kingdom throughout the day. And then come back, and then leave, and then come back. Because this kingdom is very strange. The kingdom of God loves your freedom and mine. The kingdom of God never coerces, forces, manipulates, pressures, demands. No, Jesus invites, he calls, he begs, he hopes, he prays, but he never forces, never coerces, never demands because this kingdom is built on love. And without freedom, there is no love. Imagine if every man here who's married, when you hopefully drop to a knee and propose to your fiancé, you didn't say, you will now spend the rest of your life with me. Hopefully you said, will you marry me? And it's put in the form of a question, hopefully in the man's heart and mind, as the scariest moment of his life, because he can't force the yes out of her. He can ask, he can set the environment that it would be favorable, but he still has to wait for the yes. Because love never forces, love never coerces, 
Love honors the freedom of a person. So when Jesus creates this kingdom, when he comes to found the kingdom of God on this earth, it is so different than every other kingdom in every other country because it is not founded on war. Right? Two kingdoms in the medieval ages, they wanted each other's people or property. You only got it by one way. Either an arranged marriage where there was no freedom or war where there is no freedom. This is why in the gospel, Jesus says, listen, if my kingdom was like the world, my, my friends, they'd be fighting for me. But see, the kingdom of God is not established with the weapons of this world. There are weapons, but they're not of this world. The weapons of the kingdom are truth. Not an aggressive, violent truth, but a reasoned, candid, straightforwardness. The weapons of the kingdom are justice. The weapons of the kingdom are forgiveness and prayer, sacraments, scriptures, loving those who are ignored, giving voice to the voiceless, like the unborn, the undocumented, the poor, the ignored, those on death row, giving voice to the voiceless. This kingdom is established in a very meek and worldly terms weak way. This kingdom doesn't stand up for itself. We don't seem like we have to beat our chests. We simply witness to the beauty of holiness and ask God for mercy and grace because everyone in the kingdom knows that we don't belong to the kingdom and our freedom is feeble and we'll leave at any second. So we need a lot of mercy and help. In fact, the kingdom, Jesus says, belongs to children. One of the number one characteristics of little kids is they know they're not in charge and they know they need help. That's why all day long with little kids you hear, mom, mom, dad, dad, mom, dad, dad, mom. All day long they know they need help. Whether they need help with feeling loved and attention, they need help to reach something, they're hungry, they need to go to the bathroom, they don't think they do anything on their own. Jesus, that's the role model. We cry out, Abba. Father, Father, have mercy on me when I thought I knew better. Father, have mercy on me where I think I know what is good and right and it goes against what you say is good and right. What's interesting about the kingdom of God, also known as the church for 2,000 years, is we have endured immense amount of persecutions. We come from a long lineage of men and women who have lost who have been the losers in battles, and yet those kingdoms have come and gone, and we're still trucking. In the early church, it was the Roman Empire, huh? Right? They wanted to get rid of us. How did they do it? Well, on your way out to your quote-unquote cars, right, they'd, they'd arrest you, and then you get thrown in an arena with lions to murder you and tear you to pieces. And yet they kept going to church. They kept praying. They kept proclaiming that Jesus is the only Lord. He is God and no one else. They didn't look for political leaders to save them. They didn't look for experts in witchcraft to save them or only religions. They said, this is truth and we aren't going to leave it. There's a story of a man who all he had to do was light incense to a pagan god. Incense to a pagan god. They said, if you don't, we're going to murder your wife and children. He said, if you murder them, I know where they're going. And it's going to be okay for them. But if I do this, I don't know where I'll end up going because I will have left the kingdom. 
One single man almost 2,000 years ago. His witness and story is still told. And what did we do as a church? We made it through the Roman persecutions. Time and time again, the persecutions look different. But how was the kingdom founded over and over again? Men and women who realized, I have such dignity before God that my yes and no matters. What you say yes to and no to has eternal consequences. It puts us in the kingdom and it takes us out of the kingdom. It says we're a follower of Jesus or it says we're unfaithful to Jesus. Our religion is not gray and like beige, like it doesn't matter, whatever, all is fine. And we're not only black and white, we're technicolor. There's greens and blues and yellows. We're beautiful. We have beautiful faith. But like any stained glass window, there are some blacks and some whites. And when we celebrate Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, what we celebrate is that there's no other king. There's no other one in charge. When all the countries of this world end, when the sun burns up the earth or Christ comes again in glory and all is done and there's no more switching religions or going back and forth, we believe Jesus alone will stand as God. That's how we end the liturgical year, saying, all right, he is the omega, the end. Everything's going towards him. And it causes us to stop and say, is everything in my life moving towards him? I want to end with a little meditation for all of us. This meditation comes from a saint, not from Father Ryan. I've just maybe updated the language a little bit, all right, just because medieval saints' writings, we don't always recognize the imagery. But it's from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Those of you who are connected to Jesuits in any way, you know him well. He's the founder. And he knew not everyone could go to the Holy Land for a pilgrimage. So he created a 30-day-long silent retreat where using your imagination in the scriptures, you would enter into the scenes and lives of Jesus. You'd fall in love with him. You'd repent of your own sins. And you'd promise to serve him for greater glory. And you'd come out of these 30-day retreats living your life for God with new intensity, generosity, and passion. Over time, they've been reduced to eight days and three days and five days. But for the most part, the original was 30 days. One of the meditations in week two is called the meditation on the two kingdoms. And what St. Ignatius says is there's two kingdoms put before each soul. And we get to decide. There's Satan's kingdom. And he said, in that kingdom, all the soldiers are celebrating you. They're like, oh, ooh, look at you. You're so good. Welcome. Oh my, We're, we are honored to have you here. You're such a special person. You're amazing. Come, guess what? You get to be a general in our army. No, take off that crabby clothes. We're going to dress you in the finest things. And beforehand, let's go to the nicest dinner. Because you deserve it. You're the best. You're amazing. And you get to be in charge of all of these troops. You get to have power. You get to be honored. You get the nicest meals, the best car, the greatest clothes. And guess what? Everyone's going to say you're amazing. No one will have a bad thing to say about you. Welcome. The other army is Jesus. He says, glad you're here. We need the latrines cleaned. Latrines are outhouses, if you don't know. Okay, they're the bathrooms. He's like, yeah, we really need help, so thanks for, thanks for showing up. We could use help. 
And everyone sees you and they know you by name. They're like, hey, Phil. Hey, Sarah. Good to see you. But they're busy about other things. They're glad you're there, but they all have missions. And Jesus says, hey, when you're done with the latrine, I think actually our busboy needs a little help in the house to clean up after the dinner. If you wouldn't mind helping him, we could really use the help. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Feel the difference. One is all about our ego. One is all about us being filled up, and it's all about me. It's all about other people seeing me as great. I get the greatest pleasure, knowledge, popularity, the greatest and coolest things. It's all that. And the other one is, it's going to be poor and simple, but by the way, this army wins. And the point of Ignatius' meditation is not the like, intellectual knowledge of, okay, I want to be on the winning team, but to realize, oh my gosh, there are parts of me that want to say, well, can't Jesus, should we just have like one nice meal together? <laughs> well, let's, how about this? We'll get that guy to clean the latrine. I know a guy, All right? He'll clean the latrine and then we can do some other cool stuff together. It's to recognize how much of us doesn't want Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. And then just to say, Jesus, please have mercy. When you get to that place, now you're holy. Holy people don't have their act together. Holy people cry out, Lord, have mercy. Holy people aren't, oh, I can't wait to clean the toilet. Holy people are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I don't want to go where you call because I love all the stuff in the other army. I actually need your help. When you're in touch with your poverty, I need help to want what you want, God, to be willing to go where you send me because I don't want it, actually. When you're at that place, now you're ready for the kingdom of God because now you know you need the help of a king and no one else. Now you're a disciple and this is how we build it up because Jesus says, if you're willing, come on board. I'll never force, I'll never coerce, but if you want to be a part of the winning team, the kingdom of love and life, all are welcome. Amen.